we just give this time over to you, Lord. We say, have your way amongst us. Speak into our hearts. Lord, change us. Holy Spirit, come and bring whatever you want to bring to us, Lord, to say whatever you want to say. Lift the curtain on us, Lord. Lift the curtain of our understanding. Lord, cause faith to rise in us at different levels, we pray. Holy Spirit, come and rest on us right now, Lord. Just prepare us now, Lord, as we just enter in to hearing from you, Lord. Enter into being prepared for this next phase that you've been talking about. Lord, we just give this all over to you. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for everything that you've done. Lord, we just love you so much, Lord. Bless, bless your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is going to be great, not knowing quite where we're going to go. This is, you know, just so much buzzing, <laughs> so much buzzing going on, and God saying so many different things, and he surprises you with things. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night with a flash in my eyes, and, uh, and I thought, oh, great, there's a storm. So I sat up and sat up in bed. And there was no storm. And I've talked to various people and they've said there was no flash. There was no lightning. And I thought, oh, that's, that's unusual. <laughs> oh, you saw a flash. Oh, great. Oh, good. There was one. There was a thunder after it. No, there's no thunder. Okay, that's good. And um, so I, it's been on my mind. It's been on my mind, this flash. And there was no thunder. And there was no storm. And then, dear brother, going around with your camera just now. I don't know whether you knew it. But he was going around, he was taking a picture of us as we were worshipping. And, and there was a flash in my eyes. <laughs> and then instantly, I, I knew what God was saying. And it's, it's really the message that he's saying to us all along, is that you're, you're not going to be the same in years to come than you are now. And God's taken a picture of you right now. He's gone around and he's taken a picture of you right now, so that in years to come you'd be able to look back, you know, and you sort of say, do you remember when you were at camp? Do you remember when you were in that field? <laughs> and do you remember what God said? And do you remember the changes that I did, I did in you? Do you remember the decisions that you made at that time? You know, and now, now look now, look where you are now and look back, see where you've come from. So God's taken a picture of you. And just as our dear brother was going around taking a picture of each row, okay, God's taking a picture of each of us and saying, this is a wonderful snapshot of you. you know, I love you. I love you where you are now, but I love where I'm going to be taking you. I love where I'm going to be taking you. It's going to be very, very exciting. Okay. Um, Fran's going to start off in a moment, but I just wanted to uh, just lay the bit of the foundation. Steve asked us to, to come and speak, and, uh, and quite often when this happens is that God very shortly afterwards tells me what it is that he wants to say. And then I seek God and I sort of say, right, well, Lord, how, how do we communicate that to, you know, to the people? Um, and God very much said to me, you know, that you, you are leaving behind something and you're going on to something new. And there's more to it than that. I, I think I gave you something nice, Steve, last week about the plastic bag. It's like a song, isn't it? Black, black sacks and new books. <laughs> black sacks and new books. And I also said I felt that it was like leaving the old house and going to the new house. And I felt that, that this weekend is that transitioning time. Or 
It's more God putting into you his heart for this transition time, that you're going to be leaving behind the old house. You're going to be clearing out some of the stuff, some of the stuff you don't need anymore, some of the stuff that you've collected and perhaps you shouldn't have collected it. It's not, you know, been of any use to you. And you're going to, and the new, uh, and that's the sack bit. So I hope you have got your sack. If you haven't got your black sack with you, could you think of something that you've got with you? Because at the end of the talk, we're going to you know, be some kind of ministry and the black sack's going to come in invaluable to you because I want you, during this weekend, to be able to put into that sack things which you know you're going to be leaving behind. So you need to have a spare bit of paper. So if you haven't got a bit of paper, could you make sure that you get yourself a bit of paper before the end of the talk? Um, you're going to need a couple of bits of, bits of paper and you're going to need your sack. And if you haven't got a sack, just something that can signify, I'm putting this away now. I'm putting this away. And then we're going to tell you what we're going to do with the stuff that you put into the sack. Nobody's going to see anything that's in the sack. <laughs> but we're going to do something significant with it. Um, yeah, so God is, going to take, is taking you from, in, from this place to, to another place. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Fran. Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of Joseph. And we're going to just pick out from... You can't do the whole story of Joseph. But we're going to pick out bits of the story of Joseph... And basically, we're wanting to focus on how he went into slavery. And later on, tomorrow, we'll be looking at how God took him out of slavery. How God took him from one place and put him into another place. So I'm going to get Fran to come and give us the background and to lay some of the foundations of that. Press the button. I thought I'd press the button, but maybe I'll press the Ah, okay. Is that better? <laughs> fireworks. Not only flashes and bangs, but fireworks. Right, I'll put that in there and I'll leave it alone because that's not happy. Hi, everybody. It's absolutely a privilege for us to be here. Um, we've been so excited about what we're going to be talking to you about. We've just really felt... God's put things on our heart, and it's also stuff he's been doing in us. Do you mean? It's, it's, it's what's going on in us, and we're just going to share it with you. And our, and our prayer is that that will be infectious to you, that actually we will infect you today um, with what God's been doing in us, and that it will be catching. That's really our heart, really, so be prepared. <laughs> you, have you noticed some of the words of the songs that we've been singing since we got here? God, I give you my heart. It's all about you. Um, I surrender everything I have. I give to you. But when, we, when we get saved, when, when God captures us, there's such a cry that he puts in our hearts to love him back. We feel so overwhelmed with the love that he's poured out on us. And, and the, he puts in us a love back and it can get just over, overwhelming sometimes. It's just like, God, I haven't got the words. I want to say so much to you, and I don't know even how to start. And that's where tongues comes in handy, by the way. But there's such a, there's such a cry in us. Now, God puts that longing in us because he wants us to search him out. He wants us to dig down and find all the treasure 
that he has laid up for us. Um, all God's riches, all the riches of heaven are ours. Everything. Um, all the provision that we will ever need is in him. Actually is in him. But we often don't realize what we've got, do we? It's so easy. It can be like we, um, you know, a child is born into a royal family. That baby hasn't got a clue. That baby is there. It's born. Everything is there for that baby, but it doesn't know what it's got yet. It doesn't know what's in store. It doesn't know all the, pr the prizes and the riches and the responsibility and everything that's going to be for that king when he's grown. And we are like that, that we are born into God. Everything is there when we converted. But we have to grow up into them, don't we? And our Christian life is a journey as we of discovery, really, where we're digging out these treasures and finding out what God has got for us. Now, we're looking at Joseph, okay? Now, Joseph was born into a family. He was a son. Um, he was Jacob's son. He had Jacob's blood in his veins. He had Jacob's genes, determining what kind of person he was. And it was not a, a simple family that he was born into. It was a complicated family. And we can draw from that a lot of analogies with our own lives. So I wanted to just dig into that a little bit first. Just where did Joseph come from? What kind of man was he? Before We all know the story. We all know it's a long story. We all know everything that happens to Joseph. But let's look at him at the beginning. What was it? that he was like? What was he? Now, it's really in Genesis sort of 30 onwards. So if you want to have your Bibles open, we won't read it all because it's such a long story. What we'll do is we'll dip in and out and we'll pull out verses from it. But basically from about 37 onwards, Genesis 37. But actually the story of Joseph goes back a little bit further because you can look back to his father's story um, Jacob, and you can see what kind of man Jacob was and the sort of family that he was born into. But from Joseph onwards, it's about Genesis 37. Now, Jacob ended up with two wives. He only wanted one wife, but he ended up with two wives. One he loved and one he didn't. The one he loved couldn't have children. The one he didn't love had son after son after son. She had six sons and a daughter. That was Leah. He also ended up with two concubines, two servants of his wives, and they were giving him sons. So each of them gave him two sons each. So he ended up with 11 children. Ten ch sorry. Yeah, 11 children because it was 10 sons and a daughter. Then the wife he loved had a son, the eleventh son, and that was Joseph. So this is what Joseph was born into. He was born into a big, big family, a load of strife. All right, um, one wife w wasn't loved. 
So she was desperate to earn that love. Joseph ended up being Jacob's favorite, and he absolutely knew it. All right? And if he was ever in any danger of forgetting that he was the favorite, Jacob gave him the multicolored embroidered coat so he'd never forget he was the favorite. That was also a beacon of hatred for all of his brothers. It was like, he's got the coat. I hate him. Okay? It was that coat was like a salt in his brother's wounds. So it was a very messed up family. It was warring wives. It was actually a henpecked husband. If you're not sure about that, look at Genesis chapter 30 and verse 16. Jacob was a little bit henpecked. Now all of this strife and hatred, that would have all rubbed off on the children. This is what they were growing up in. James chapter 3 verse 16 says, Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. That was the family that Joseph was in. Also, if you dig back a little bit from where Jacob came from, Jacob was the second son. He was not the heir. But he manipulated and schemed, and he got the heir's blessing. These are the sort of things that Jacob schemed and got. God said, May nations serve you, and peoples bow down to you. You be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. Also, God had said to him, Kings will come from your body. So Jacob had those promises that he was waiting to see fulfilled. And he would have passed on those things to his family. He would have wanted them to grow up knowing what God's inheritance was for them. My guess is that a lot of that was focused on Joseph because Joseph was the favorite. Okay, so he would have been building this in to Joseph. God had also said to him, I'll get, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. All the peoples will be blessed by you and your offspring. So that's the kind of family life that Joseph came from. All right, we've all come from some kind of family background, good or bad. In Joseph's case, he probably thought he came from a good family background because he was loved, he had the coat, he had that pride that he was his father's favorite, so he probably felt he had a good time as a child. But we all have got a history, okay, whatever that is good or bad. Now, perhaps your childhood was worse than his, or worse than his brothers. His brothers were so rejected. His brothers were so, over, you know, looked over. Perhaps yours was even worse than that. Maybe you lived through some kind of abuse, whatever kind of abuse that might have been. Maybe you lived with constant criticism, or that you could never do enough to please. Whatever it is, we've all come from somewhere. And what happens is that that child, you, whoever, that child will find a way to cope in that childhood. And it will involve building some kind of wall. Okay? There'll be, a, there'll be walls of protection that we have all developed through our childhood and, and growing up into adulthood. And often those walls are firmly established. They become almost part of us. They're part of our personality, we think. 
It's who we are and we stay within them. Okay? I think that Joseph's walls of protection were his pride, his, his absolute confidence that he was the favorite, that he was higher than his brothers. He, there was an arrogance there, I think. That shows in the fact that he, he, he was telling on his, on his brothers back to his father. He was telling tales. When God gave him those dreams about his brothers bowing down to him, he couldn't wait to tell them. You know, there was no hesitation there. It's like, oh, this confirms everything I knew. You know, it's as I always thought, I'm greater than you. All right? That was his walls of protection. We've got our own walls of protection. Mine were, because my childhood was a very abused childhood. It was a very scary childhood. And so for me, my walls that I, put, I built in childhood to survive and to cope were um, very much to defend me and to protect me and a place to hide. Okay, so um, I was very, very quick, always, even as an adult, to go straight into victim mode. That was always my default setting, victim mode. Anything that happened, anything that people said, I'm a victim. I react from a victim, you know, place. Um, how that shows itself is that I would isolate myself, I would go back into myself and I would get very defensive. There was an awful lot of defensiveness in me um, because I saw everything as a threat. I saw everything as an attack. Um, and also, I got very, very good at acting like a swan. Now, swan is just very graceful and calm on the surface and under the water. Oh, I see what I'm doing. Sorry about that. Under the water, um, frantic. Absolutely frantic, keeping everything going best you can. And that I got very good at that. That was all part of within my walls of protection. So have a think. What is it that you have actually developed, probably when you were quite little, and it's carried on through into your adult? And what it is, it's, like, it's actually like trying to build a defensive wall around an ammunition dump. It seriously is. Because it's really not safe. And it is literally liable to blow up at any point. And mine blew up regularly. Because even though I was building the best walls I could, I could not keep myself safe. Because I was in there. So I was always going to mess it up. And so I was constantly having that regular final straw that tipped me over the edge and then everything would blow up. And what would happen is that I'd go, I'd go into myself for weeks Weeks and weeks. Now, I've gone into that into a little bit of detail, but just to sort of give that picture that, that Joseph's walls were those pride and arrogance, and we need to be thinking about what ours were. Now, <clears throat> Joseph had a genuine destiny over his life. Those dreams were real, and those dreams were from God. Now, he probably thought at the point that he had the dreams that he was ready to have the fulfillment. And we can be so like that, that God says things to us. He gives us a prophetic word or we feel it in our heart, God's saying something to us. We expect the fulfillment right there and then. Um, that was definitely there with me. I mean, as I grew as a Christian, I began to understand that God has given us everything in Christ. 
And as I grew as a Christian, I began to believe that. That was then a conflict with my walls of protection that I'd built up. And there was this grating in me. God has said I've got victory. God has said I've got peace. God has said I've got joy. God has said I've got, I'm an overcomer. What's happening here then? So I began to form the theology that I believe that what God has said is true, but I'm obviously an exception. Okay? And then we disqualify ourselves because we can't seem to get the reality of it. Does that make any sense? I loved God, and I still do. I loved him with all my heart and had such a desire to serve him but I was constantly racked by these overwhelming emotions. I think um, the way that I, as well, tried to reconcile this sort of grating in me was that my prayer was very much, well, Lord, you need to change the people around me a bit quicker because then things will get easier. Um, and I think maybe Joseph went a little bit down that line. I mean, he'd had his dreams. He, he'd explained them to his brothers. He'd had a really bad you know, reaction from his brothers, which he was like, oh, they're not getting it yet. Lord, Reuben just doesn't have the right attitude towards me right now. I think you might have to do a little work of humility in him. You know, we've all done that kind of thing where we're praying, God, change. You know, I mean... Oh, I prayed for Pete for years to change. (laughs) We're all guilty of it. So, here we are. Joseph's got his dream. He's had a bad reaction from his family. But there is this word over his life. Now, what is going to be happening next? What's happening is that God has given him a vision of the future. And Joseph now does not fit that vision. So there's going to be a process that now starts where God is going to get Joseph from here to there. And part of it, I mean, I know it was with me, it's, oh, God, use me. He put such a desire in me to change. Oh, God, use me. I surrender. Now, when you start to pray something like that, I'll tell you now, it's a really, really dangerous prayer. We tend to do it quite glibly, but actually God takes it seriously. And I, I've got this picture now that when I first started praying that, God was like rolling his sleeves up at last. Okay, let's get going. Yeah. Um, so what happened for Joseph next? Okay, there's a list of what happened to Joseph next. He had abandonment. He, had, he was betrayed. He found himself isolated. Eventually, he finds himself a slave. He has lost all control over his life. He has no say now in what happens. The opposite to what the dreams were is what he experienced. He was told he would rule and reign and everyone would bow down to him. The opposite happens. He finds himself absolutely out of control, abandoned, isolated. I'm going to read you... Genesis 37, just where this happens. And it's Genesis 37. um, And it is about verse 18, somewhere like that. 
So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue them, him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into a cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Okay, I'm going to leave it there because that's as far as I'm going to go today. Now, God gives you a vision for the future. Suddenly everything crashes and burns and you find yourself in the opposite place. Is that unusual? Is Joseph an isolated case? I think the Bible is littered with characters who that happened to. In Jeremiah 37, it says that Jeremiah was beaten and imprisoned for a long time. And then it got worse for Jeremiah because it says then he was lowered into a cistern to sink down into the mud. I can't think of anything that is more isolating, that you'd feel so alone, so abandoned, so forsaken. Um, I think even on a different scale, um, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. There is a promise from Jesus, we're going to the other side. But what happens in the middle is utter catastrophe. There is such an enormous storm that they are absolutely clinging on and thinking they're going to die any minute and that Jesus doesn't care and he's just sleeping. So there's so many examples. In Exodus uh, chapter 14, the Israelites are, are trapped by the Red Sea. They've got the Egyptians behind them. They've got nowhere to go to the side. They've got the sea ahead of them. God had led them out. They'd been promised freedom. And now the opposite is happening. They've walked into a trap and they're going to die. So the Bible's full of this. Now, there's, a, there's an old uh, guy from the past called Matthew Henry, who um, I love his commentaries. And he says on this, he says, we may be in the way of our duty, following God and hastening towards heaven, and yet may be in dire straits, troubled on every side. When without our fightings, it cannot be otherwise but that within our fears. It's our duty and interest when we cannot get out of our troubles, yet to get above our fears. Okay, there will often be situations we cannot get out of the troubles, but we can get above our fears. And he says, stand still and think not to save yourselves either by fighting or flying, but wait on God's orders and then observe them. All right, so it's a common thing for God to do the opposite to what he said, seemingly, and often there is a pit involved. And I don't know about you, but I've often felt there have been pits in my life. 
pits often of my own making, pits that I have jumped into, that my walls have been round, but pits nonetheless where I felt absolutely trapped, no way out, I cannot see a solution, I'm out of control. But what I've learnt, and what I think God wants us all to learn, what I've learnt is that when God puts us into a pit, it's in order that he eventually turn that pit into a well. He wants to build wells in our lives. Wells that are full of him. Wells that are full of his, his power and his love and his provision and all his riches so that we have a well from inside that we draw out all that we need. God takes us down into the depths sometimes, but it's in order that we rise up to his heights. We, there's a line in a new song that I love. It says, we touch the sky as our knees hit the ground. I love that line. He reveals those areas of our lives that we're trying to control, those walls that we've built. And what he's doing in these times is he is slowly demolishing those walls. And he's getting us to a place where we give him permission to do it. We glibly say at the beginning, God, do whatever you like. Then when he starts to get specific, we often start to have problems with him. I remember that one day, uh, this was a few years ago now, but I'd taken Pete to work one day, and when I got home, I began to listen to a recording of a song, and God suddenly broke into me, and I was in floods of tears, and it was like I specifically saw some of the walls that I had built around myself. There was such a sense of the Holy Spirit in the room at that point, and I really began to sing and to pray and cry, And I was just saying to God, tear down these walls in me that I have spent my 